You're listening to In Conversation, the podcast from Creative Coverage, with me, Tim Saunders. Today, I'm with President of the Royal Birmingham Society of Artists, Steve Evans. Words like linear and mathematical spring to mind when looking at your very precise drawings. Can you tell me more about them, Steve? They come from an engineering background. Although when I first started uh, making art seriously, I was still practicing as an engineer and I was spending time trying not to be an engineer. So this came about as a bit of a, because of something of a revelation when I decided I ought to go and do an HND in fine arts at Stourbridge College. A project was called Recognising the Unseen, where I needed to make a piece of work about a place within 20 minutes walk of the college. And I found a doorway, which is quite odd, uh, and I made a piece of work about that. And at the end of year's show, the head of school said, why did you do that, Steve? And I said, well, it's an arch doorway and the, the way it's been altered, the forces don't work properly. And he said, how do you know that? And I said, well, you know my background, I'm an engineer. And he said, uh, it'd be a poor do if I didn't know that. And he said, yes, but in your work, why are you hiding it? So that was a, a sort of light bulb moment, which made me realise that, indeed, he went on to say, you see things slightly differently because of your background, make use of that fact. And that led me to think that I could use the techniques that I'd learned when I first started work to detail reinforced concrete and design steelwork and so on and so forth, it could be used to make art as well. And so I started to experiment with that and bought myself some new pens. So that really was the the beginning of my trying to make work, which was um, largely about architecture and space and pattern and where I really, I almost think I'm trying to see just how much I can do with a straight line. And I find it remarkable that that I've been able to to be doing these drawings probably for about seven or eight years now, and there are still ideas coming out. <laughs> so I don't know if that shows a one-track mind or something. I, I hope not, because the motivation for each particular image uh, might well be different. <laughs> well, yes, I was about to get onto that. What have you got going on in your mind at the moment? Is there a particular idea that you're wanting to explore? Yes. Uh, I mean, I've been making the pieces of work that you've seen, which are on perspex and board. So they're two separated surfaces with images sometimes very similar, but frequently a bit different on the front and back thing. So that when you walk past them or you move your head, there is movement within the image. And I've been doing those for quite a long time now. I'm not tiring of them, but I am thinking there is a temptation with these things to use a visual trick and to carry on using the visual trick. I want there to be more to it than that, and I feel there is more to it than that. So I, of late, have been working in two different ways, really. One in 3D, which is what I am working on at the moment, is constructions. And they're quite linear, but they're not quite as precise as the drawings, because these are done in my garage with a soldering iron, rather than a pen in very controlled conditions. But also, I'm working in ink on paper and doing them on one surface and i'm enjoying doing that i think they're becoming more and more abstract but i think quite i think quite unusual i don't think there are many people doing what what i'm trying to do what drew you to a soldering iron i did a foundation before hnu found you know foundation course they suggested to me because of the work that i've done in the first part of that course that that i perhaps ought to specialize in 3d work and i went into the workshop and i sat with a spot welder 
and some wire and made less formal constructions than those that I'm making at the moment. But I had a whale of a time. I loved it. So I looked into the into the cost of getting a, a MIG welder set up in my garage and found with electricity supply, buying the kit, etc., etc., I was into a, a lot of money. So I thought, so how can I make something uh, like this without welding it? Um, now there are people who do it by tying wire, but I wanted. I, I thought, well, actually, if I if I used copper or brass, I could solder the stuff. I mean, the only soldering I'd done was when repairing copper pipe work and plumbing in my time uh, you know as a DIY thing so I, I got myself some copper in fact copper tube I got initially from a model making firm in, in uh, Cheshire and some solder and started to work on soldering those things together the previous soldering had, had only been on as I am plumbing when it's actually a soldered sleeve that you're putting onto a pipe you heat it up with some bit of flux in heat it up and it fizzes round so I, I started just dabbing bits of solder onto these things to make joints. I found that they, they tended to be a bit clumsy at the beginning, but the, then I, I found my wife bought me um, a gas-fired soldering iron, which I never knew existed. I thought they were all electric. I found I could actually use it as a mini blowtorch. I've developed a way of my own now of putting quite small amounts of of solder onto my joints to make the whole thing a bit neater than it was. The downside of it is that you might put another joint fairly close to it as you melt the one you've just finished. <laughs> They're not that strong. I mean, so the pieces are quite delicate. And if you just catch one with your jacket or your glove when you're passing, you know, you can disrupt a, a joint. But they're, they're easily repairable. That must be a bit of a worry when you're exhibiting. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I, I did some very small ones, actually, and put them into Perspex boxes, uh, which protected them a bit. I'm making bigger ones now. I mean, the one I'm doing now is about a metre and a half tall. So a Perspex box will cost me a few quid if I decide to to go down that route. But I may well do. These actually sit on a plinth? I've got some that hang on a wall, one one of which was um, my lockdown piece, which is about just under a metre square on a wall and and projects about half a metre from the wall. At its at its heart, you know, at its uh, biggest point. I mean, that's just a very tricky to move around and to hang. It's fine once you've got it on the wall and it's reason, reasonably robust. And now I've got smaller ones that are to hang on the wall and, and then these others which stand on, on plinths, yeah. And some that hang from the ceiling as well, actually. They must look very striking when hung from the ceiling, particularly. Yeah, you have to find the right place for them. You, you need a corner where the, you've got blank, blank walls behind you because they're all you can see through them. I mean, the storage is a, a real problem. And I've got one down in my studio where I do my drawings and I've managed to hang it up high enough so I don't keep banging it with my head. But it's not desperately well shown in that circumstance. It needs the right gallery to, to put it in. Uh, and I've yet to persuade uh, Jill, my wife, that we want one in the lounge. <laughs> Have you considered making it into a light fitting, perhaps? Well, I was making one in the garage during the first lockdown when the weather was so wonderful and people were walking past and then they had a little bit of a get together outside during lockdown, all masked up, you know, and socially distanced. And they said, well, what are you doing in your garage? You're making a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, I'm not. 
I'm trying to make a piece of art. I mean, the shadows become very important with these things. And in a way, you'd need the lamp to be remote. Or maybe one way it could be to have um, a plinth which has a perspex top with a lamp underneath it to project light upwards through it without the lamp actually being visible. So that's that's on my mind. My general philosophy is when you start to you start to get satisfied and stand still, you've finished, haven't you? Art or music, without a bit of risk, a bit of the unknown, can become sterile. And I hope what to do doesn't become sterile. I became a jazz aficionado when I was 14 years old. And that's a long time ago. And I've been involved since the late 1970s, off and on, in promoting uh, jazz concerts around Birmingham and Wolverhampton. And the thing that has struck me most forcibly about that is the balance, varying balance in different groups between structure and improvisation. Now, the structure is very important to me in terms of of what I did for a living uh, and being a structural engineer. But I did recognise also that there were times in that working life when I had to improvise because somebody's dropped a brick and you have to make a decision and and, and get it, solve a problem with what's to hand rather than being able to specify it all. Uh, and so I recognised then that that, that that balance exists in most walks of life, probably in all walks of life. But But it was initially most obvious to me in music and the particular sort of music that attra- I was attracted to. I mean, I tried to be a musician, found out the hard way that I'm not. So, I mean, you know, once blooded, you soon give it up. What did you try to play? I tried to play the guitar and I can play the guitar. I mean, I can strum a chord or ten for you if you wish, but um, there's not much point. And, and the guitarists that I like were rather more technical than strumming a chord or three, you know. Um, and in fact, I, I almost gave up the guitar because I went to Ronnie Scott's once. The support act was a, a West Indian guy called uh, Ernest Wrangley, who actually was very influential in a number of, of reggae records, but he was also a very fine jazz guitarist. And I sat close to him at Ronnie's um, watching him. And his technique and his facility was just incredible. And I thought, well, I don't, you know, you're not going to get to that level. I mean, it, it, I mean, as one of these foolish people as well who thought, you know, real musicians, they, they do all this by instinct. Well, no, they don't. They're taught and they learn it. Um, it's uh, it's the same the same in art. You know, you can be naive and you can splash stuff around, but really the majority of people, they have thought and technique. Well, you need thought in it, whatever you're doing, um, and technique and so forth. And it And it's a balance. I mean, in a way, you could argue with my work that, well, it's actually all structure, but it isn't because I let them happen as they as I make them. I have an idea what I might be trying to achieve, but I let the work take me where it's going. So I don't know what the finished article is going to look like. Um, that goes largely with 3D and 2D work. It surprises me from time to time, and I think that's a good thing. How do you decide whether a certain piece should go on a piece of paper or whether it should become a a 3D structure? I don't use a sketchbook as such. I do drawings on paper. And some of those ones that when I I decide I will then transfer into, say, a Perspex piece, I rarely transfer those into a a 3D piece. Usually if I am doing a sketch of a 3D piece, it's because I want to make a, a 3D piece. But again, I start with an idea of a basic grid or something, 
and then I let and I build on that. I was intrigued at college that one of my favourite artists is Agnes Martin, who did a lot of grid paintings, beautiful ones in my view. Uh, and I was talking to to a tutor about Agnes Martin and, and grid paintings, and they said, well, the grids are restrictive. And I said, I don't think they're restrictive because in my working life, if you're doing a frame building, generally speaking, you set a grid down and you work you work within that grid. And it gives you a reference point for everything that you're doing. You don't have to sit every column on the junction of two lines. You can move it, but it's a reference point. And so I don't, I didn't see the grids as being restrictive in the way that other people seem to. What would you say has been your greatest success? The one that gave me the most buzz was in my engineering career, towards the end, one of the jobs I worked on was the conversion of Ouzel Street School in Birmingham, uh, in Brindley Place, Birmingham now, into Icon Art Gallery. And I had loved working with Icon and did some work in the old place in John Bright Street beforehand and helped them with some exhibitions. I I loved it. So it was a little bit of a bucket list thing for me to try and get some work into the Icon. But this is a a world-renowned space, you know, within a certain attitude. And they, they have international people in there and so, you know, I'm not going to get a show there anytime soon. But and when we were coming out of lockdown, they had a, a show called Icon for Artists. So I put a piece of work in. So this, this was for people based in Birmingham. Well, my RBSA connection meant, as I could say, I was based in Birmingham. So I put a piece of work in and I sold it. And I was really pleased with that. It was a very altruistic show in that they said, we'll, we'll put all the information out. We will take no uh, commission. This is for local artists. If your work sells, it's up to you to negotiate with the person who wants to buy it and to get the work to them. So I had an email from somebody saying I'd like to buy this work. And so I agreed fairly readily and then said, so where have I got to get it to? They said, oh, we, we live in Harborne. So oh, that's that's fine. I mean, that's almost on my way home when I go to collect it. And so I, I turned up at this house in Harborne with my piece of work and knocked the door. And was invited in. So he's come through to the back. Oh, I was just on the phone at the moment. Oh, okay. So well, while we're waiting, I'll show you what 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 we've got on the walls. And they had a lot of very very fine um, drawings and screen prints, including works by Bridget Riley and Eduardo Polozzi and so forth. And I thought, oh crikey, this is all right. His so wife finished her phone call, so we've got that. And I took the thing out of its wrapping, and she she said, oh. Lovely. So I, I like it even more than I did in the gallery. So, well, that, that's a good start. And so, uh, so they paid me. I didn't ask. She just said, where are we going to put this? And uh, this guy said, well, I don't know. Let's, uh, and she said, I know. She said, I think we ought to put it next to Bridget Riley. And I thought, my God. You've arrived. <laughs> I floated home. <laughs> Uh, well congratulations i mean that uh, that must have been a very welcome boost you're always doubting what you do i mean i think it's a natural thing in that you're always saying i judge my own work and decide whether i think it's fit to be shown and where it might be shown and sometimes i'm quite surprised it might just it might be my wife walks in and says, oh i like that when i'm not sure about it and i've put things on the wall uh, and so on. And this wasn't the case with the icon i chose what, what i thought was one of the best ones and people react to what you've done 
and frequently it's pieces that you weren't quite convinced were good enough, you know, but not one of your very favourite ones that you've made. I find that fascinating and it, it, it actually gives me a bit of confidence. That's the creative process, isn't it? It is. Well, from all the artists I've met that I've spoken to at length, I detect doubts in all of them. I don't think any of them think, well, I'm doing this and I'm absolutely bloody brilliant and can't get any better. They all know that it's a it's a process and it's an ongoing process. You need to try and, and, and grow with it. Four of us who, who all live uh, reasonably close together, uh, three in Wolverhampton, one in Starbridge, and we meet from time to time, about every six weeks. And we bring along a bit of work that we're, work, we're doing. It might be unfinished, it might be completed, whatever. And we talk about them and criticise them. And I find that extraordinarily helpful. It's a very helpful thing to do. And it's one of the things that you find when you go to, to art college, that you all sit around and you'll talk about each other's work. And, and, and you know, with your tutor, who will also criticise and and. Uh, and, and you learn a lot from other people's reactions to what you've done. I mean, I work at home. You know, I, I think use my garage as a workshop for the, for the 3D things. I use my nicely insulated and glazed shed <laughs> um, with heating down the garden for my drawing. Uh, but I am on my own. It's very helpful to have that third party or third, fourth and fifth party in this case input into what you're doing. I was a member of another organisation and I won't name the organisation because I quit it because most of what went on with that organisation was quite traditional and I would put my pieces of work up and the questions and comments I got was how long does it take for the ink to dry? What happens when you make a mistake? How long does it take you to do that? And you, well, actually, that's not what I want you to ask me. I want you to, <laughs> I want you to criticise what I'm doing. I think it's so valuable. I really missed it when I stopped going to college. I mean, I'll tell you this. The 3D piece, I'd, I'd gone quite a long way down the road with, uh, with one section of it and then stood back and thought, oh, no. So I've taken it all apart and ordered some different material. <laughs> to make it different, which is what I mean by letting it take me in a way. I think you have to edit as you go along and you have to recognise if something, well, it's helpful if you can recognise it's not working um, and do something about it. So it is part of my process. I think it is important. I mean, I think you you do have to be your own harshest critic. Incredibly um, frustrating at times, though, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and... There is quite a lot of time that you can spend sitting, drinking a cup of tea and thinking about it. I mean, I, I remember quite early on when I first started playing, because I mean, I started doing this because Jill bought me some paints for, I think, Christmas one year. Uh, it's her fault. Well, you could say that. <laughs> I surprised myself by getting into it because I did an O-level, uh, a GCE O-level in art in 1960. I've told this story a few times. Uh, while we were doing figure drawing in class, the art teacher walked behind us all and was looking over our shoulders and nodding and commenting and advising. Looked over my shoulder and said, hmm, very workmanlike. So I became an engineer. <laughs> I, at the time, I didn't think that, that it was significant. But actually, the fact that, I won't tell you how many years later, I still remember the remark, means it really must have cut home somewhat. So it was a surprise to me, and it was to Jill, I think, that I started to play with these paints. Um, it took me probably two years before I'd even show her anything I'd done. And 
a lot longer before I showed anybody else. But as I said before, the, the work I was doing then was when I was trying not to be an engineer and before I went to college. But I, nevertheless, even with that work, and that, that really was based on, I mean, a lot of it was named for musicians or for pieces of music. Uh, and that really was about this improvisation structure balance. And I set myself some targets. And the first target I set was, I want to get a piece of work in Wolverhampton Art Gallery. And how do I set about doing that? And a friend, a friend of Jill's actually, told me she'd been in the Wolverhampton Society of Artists and they have an exhibition from Transfer. I thought, oh, well, I'll see if I can join that. This all came about as well because a friend of Jill's who did specialised in making glass, art in glass at uh, Wolverhampton University. She gave us a piece of work which is hung on our landing against a window. She came round and, and saw some of my work hung uh, actually in the downstairs loo and said, who's done those? And Jill said, Steve has, and she said, you ought to show those. And I said, don't be silly. And it went on for a few weeks. And then Sarah said to me, look, I will do a show with you. We'll hire a space at Bilston Craft Gallery, and you have half the gallery, I'll have the other half, and we'll put a show on. And I and I said, oh, OK, uh, which was the first time I'd shown a piece of artwork anywhere. And I absolutely loved the whole experience there are a few better gifts anybody can give you than that i mean to set you off to find something that you enjoyed and i like the process of putting exhibitions together i like the process of curating um, as well as the process of making art and anyway as a result of that i did get accepted to Wolverhampton society of artists and i did get my work into the first exhibition that i um, entered for there so i was i was pleased with that and so i've kept on how a teacher can knock your confidence you go throughout your life as a sensitive creative and then you meet someone like sarah who can put the confidence back in and you are where you are now yeah as you say it was jill's fault and it's sarah's fault (laughs) Um, i mean in a lot of ways tim i can't believe what life has brought along to me since i started getting involved with art a lot of new friends and very interesting friends I mean, they're interesting people in construction, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but uh, interesting in a different way, by and large, the ones I meet in the art world. Yeah, quite a contrast. Um, uh, yes, yes and no. I, I did a show at um, the Eagle Works in Wolverhampton, which was a gallery in studio spaces, or was, it, it's not functioning any longer, in an old carpet, no, sorry, an old mattress factory, bitterly cold in the winter and steaming hot in the summer. Quite a nice gallery space. I borrowed it. I, I did offer to pay and I never got an invoice. While I was putting it up, it was occupied largely by graduates and, and teachers at uh, University of Wolverhampton in the art school and uh, a chap called Knighton Husking who had actually taught Cornelia Parker in his time he came in through what I was doing he said well I don't know you uh, and I said well, what's your background he said, so I said well I've, I've spent all this time as an engineer designing buildings and uh, started making art and his first comment then was well, they're not that different, are they? And I thought, oh, crikey, hallelujah. I mean, I don't think they are. Engineering is a very creative process, uh, designing, as is art. So he cheered me up a lot, actually, saying that. It's been a very enjoyable conversation, Steve. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. Smashing, thanks very much for your time.